How about some of those quotes? Who was it that said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country? How about this one? I cannot and will not recant since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Anyone know who said that? Martin Luther. How about this one? Never, 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 never give up. How about this one for you sports fans? We didn't lose the game. We just ran out of time. Anyone know who said that? Vince Lombardi. And then three words. You'll know this one. I have a dream. Yeah. Now, you know, what's fascinating to me is all those folks that said those words are dead. And none of us knew any of them personally. At least I'm pretty certain that. Well, okay, none of you knew Martin Luther. That's for sure. But even though we didn't know them personally, we know them by their words. Things that they spoke identify them for us, at least in part. Any of you remember the name Howard Cosell? Voice of Monday Night Football in the 70s. Some of you remember the name Will Rogers? Well, Will Rogers was, some say, the American cowboy and a comedian and a humorist. He was an actor. He was most famous for his line, I never met a man I didn't like. Well, in the 70s, I can remember my dad watching Monday Night Football game with me and laughing at this huge banner that was hanging in the stands that said, Will Rogers never met Howard Cosell. You see, Cosell once said of himself, arrogant, pompous, obnoxious, vain, cruel, verbose, a show off. I've been called all of these and that is what I am. Will Rogers never met Howard Cosell and his 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 mouth. If, if those of you who are around to hear Cosell it just identified him in such a way that that even though we didn't really know him, we didn't think much of him. Words, words are so important. Words, they, they, they label, they, they categorize, they characterize, and you think about it, they are, they're one of the two means that we have to know a person. I mean, think of it, how else do we know someone? How do you know me? My words and my actions. How do I know you? Your words and your actions. We draw conclusions about people, about their heart, their character, their intentions, based upon what we observe in their lives and what we hear from their mouths. And there is no question in my mind that our mouths, small though they may be, our mouths have the ability to, to give life to people and to take life from people. Oh, probably not literally, but figuratively.
and emotionally, we give and we take away life with the things that we say. Some of you have seen the movie Blindside. Sean and Leanne Tui, the the real life couple that was portrayed in that movie, they tell this story in their book. It's entitled In a Heartbeat. There is a little known congressional program that awards internships to young people who have aged out of the foster care system. These are kids who were never adopted and are no longer eligible for state support. A senator that we have met employed one such man as an intern. One morning, the senator breezed in for a meeting and he discovered that his intern was already in the office reorganizing the entire mailroom. The senator said to the intern, this is amazing. The mailroom has never looked so clean. You did a great job. A few minutes later, the senator noticed that the intern had tears running down his face. The senator said, son, are you okay? Yes, the intern said quietly. Did did I say something to offend you? No, sir. Well, what's wrong? The young man said, that's the first time in my life anyone's told me that I did something good. You remember James chapter 3? It's a chapter devoted to the power of the tongue. James says that if anyone can control their tongue, then they're a perfect person. The implication is that controlling the tongue is the most challenging thing that anyone could ever do. And James is quite sure that there are no perfect people. If anyone can control the tongue, they are a perfect person. The things that come from our mouths, my brothers and my sisters, the things that come from our mouths are much more significant than we give them credit for. See, we were all lied to as kids. You know that, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones. Finish it for me. But names will never hurt me. That's a crock. Names and words kill. They have the potential to lift up and encourage and be vital and cause life. They have the ability to take life, to strip it right away. Just spend time with any of the children at Royal Family Kids Camp and you will be reminded of the power of words to shape a life. In our text this morning... We're going back to Ephesians, just in case you'd forgotten. In our text, we, uh, we hear Paul say some things that are very, very pointed this morning about God's people and how they use their mouths. In the first half of chapter 4, you remember we, we heard Paul say that we, as God's people, will, will speak the truth in love and we will grow up into maturity in Christ and This morning, there's a similar command. He says to put off falsehood, to speak truthfully to one another. And then there's a there's a second exhortation that targets unwholesome talk. The proper use of our mouths as God's people is is big on Paul's agenda in this this section of Ephesians. 
And so for the Ephesians, he writes these words. And for the followers of Jesus at Applewood Community Church, he writes these words as well. So let's stand together, shall we? And let's let's read these words from Ephesians chapter four. Together, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Those who have been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. That they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. You know, for years I have I've heard that that phrase and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's an important statement. I've never until this week connected it with its proper context. Duh. I'm always talking about context, right? We need to understand things in their context. And where have I been? Have you heard that statement before? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's kind of interesting here that Paul says the Holy Spirit of God, just in case there's another Holy Spirit somewhere out there. He wants to make sure that we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So, I want you to have a very brief neighbor discussion. Let me read again for you verse 29. These two statements are linked. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen, followed by that statement, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Paul is talking about unwholesome talk. The root of that word unwholesome has to do with with gossip and slander. And the word grieve, that means grieve. It means to cause sadness, to, to make sad. Okay. Ask your neighbor. Why do you think unwholesome talk makes the Holy Spirit sad? Now, don't develop a theological treatise here, okay? This is just pretty straightforward. Why does unwholesome talk make the Holy Spirit sad? Why does it cause sadness in the Holy Spirit of God? Ask your neighbor what they think. What is it about 
unwholesome talk, slander and gossip. What is it about that that grieves, that makes sad, that causes sadness with the Holy Spirit? Great observation. And tell me again, why is unity in the body so important? Surely you've heard this somewhere along the way. (laughs) Phil? Yeah. Is is not unity in the body? We've talked about it being a, a great witness for the reality of Jesus. That was his prayer. In John 17, the oneness of his followers... Uh, you know, and, and unity doesn't mean the same. Unity doesn't mean that we all look alike and think alike, act alike, speak alike. But there is, there is commitment to one another despite the differences. That's, that's the heart of unity. Excellent point. Well, I mean, haven't we seen that in our children, you know? One sibling picks on another one, and what, what does the picked on one do? Well, he, he goes looking for a sibling that he can pick on. Um, Diane, good, good observation. Yeah. And how often do we think in these terms? I've never gone here, you guys. I've never gone here in terms of how do my, how do my words that are, that are spoken to someone or about someone reflect on the God who indwells me? And, And say again. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And wow. To, to think that, that, my, that my speech has the capacity to make the Spirit of God grieve, to cause sadness. Boy, that to me is so powerful. So powerful. Brings us right back to, you know, the, the emphasis of the book. And, and, and this is, I think, where, where Heather was going. The idea of, of how does a person live in response how do God's people live in response to, to the amazing and undeserved love and grace of God? Well, they, they ought to be living with a keen sense of how blessed they are. Whoa! And a desire to bring the presence of God into every circumstance that they find themselves. In the things that they say in the things that they do. Paul's summary statement in this entire text really comes in those first two verses of chapter 5. The, the chapter break in our Bibles can be misleading because those two verses are, are tightly connected uh, to the previous section. Be imitators of God. Oh, that's all. Just be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and and sacrifice to God. And in case we're wondering how God's people ought to live their lives, both individually and collectively, Paul says, just imitate God and live a life of love. And one of the ways that those who really have been transformed by God's grace... Who have, been, who have been touched and, and, and marked by his love, one of the ways that they will show that they get it, the demonstration of their understanding of the miracle that God has brought to them is by the way that they use or don't use their mouths. Will we use our mouths to, to give life? Or will we allow things to come out of our mouths that... That take life. Paul's plea is, 
is to give life to one another. And he points out a couple of ways in this text. As always, there's, there's more here, and I'm always trusting that, that you're, you're reading on your own and, and studying in between the lines of where we go on Sunday mornings. But I want to zero in on, on the idea of, of how we use our mouths. How do we give life to those around us? The first thing that Paul says, it's the very first verse that we read. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. There's the family language. Families ought not to be false with one another. They ought not to be lying to one another. As I mentioned a minute ago, it was earlier in this chapter where Paul said we need to speak to the truth. In love to one another. An exhortation that, that we learned had to do with, with a loving and a gentle encouragement of one another to live according to the, to the way God has called us to live. But the emphasis in this statement is, is really a little bit different. It's, it's on the words, put off falsehood. What does that mean? To put off falsehood. A more literal rendering of, of the words that are here would be to put off the lie. That the, the, the text that we find it written in the original language has the idea of stop living a lie with one another. Stop living a lie with one another. Put off falsehood. Reject what is false. What, is, what, what promotes a lie in your life. And be truthful with one another because we are family and we deserve the truth with one another. It's an, or, it's an exhortation, I think, to be real with one another. I read the most interesting article this week. It was online. It was about face masks. Listen to this. Maybe some of you saw it. It appears that the criminal mind, which seems never to sleep, has devised a new approach to its craft. Silicone masks. In Ohio... Conrad Zirich pleaded guilty to using one of the masks to transform himself from a 30-year-old white man into a black character he called the player who carried out a string of robberies in the state of Ohio. The disguise was so effective that local police mistakenly arrested a young African-American for the crimes. We showed the picture of the perpetrator to his mother, and even, though, and even she thought it was her son. This, this one detective said, the masks come from a Los Angeles company which sells movie quality silicone masks that incorporate human hair to achieve what its advertisements call ultra high realism. Yeah, I think so. He almost got away with his crimes, but his girlfriend found a large stash of money and turned him into the police. Guess what? We wear masks, and they're really lifelike. In fact, they are our lives. We wear, we wear masks, and we can be pretty convincing. We wear them primarily, I think, because we don't really want people to know us, warts and all. Somehow, we think that as a follower of Jesus, we've bought into the idea along the way that we're supposed to live happy, trouble-free lives, that somehow sanctification happens instantly for everyone else but me. And so I slip on a mask 
so that others won't know that there is something wrong because there isn't supposed to be anything wrong, right? Wow. We only need to read the Gospels to realize that that just doesn't square. Look at the folks that Jesus called, both before and after he called them. Now, this is not an exhortation to go around dumping our dirty laundry on one another. But I do think it's a challenge, to be honest, in those appropriate contexts and, and relationships, to be honest with, what, with one another about, about our struggles and our, and our wrestling. Those things that we wrestle with, some of us on a daily basis, that the enemy beats us up with over and over and over again because God's people are not supposed to wrestle with. You fill in the blank that fits your life. And to risk opening that struggle? To risk being trusted? Or trusting a brother or sister in Christ? That they would love us no matter what and actually pray with us and encourage us and walk with us through the battle. That's scary stuff. That's really scary stuff. That's what Paul is talking about here. Put off falsehood. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully about yourself to one another. I'll give you a personal example. Now, you're probably going to think this is silly, but I was struck with something that I read by Dietrich Bonhoeffer this week. You know, Bonhoeffer, pastor in Germany during the Nazi regime. In his book, Life Together, it's all about God's people living in community as, as his people, living honest, transparent relationships with one another. He says this, Christians, especially ministers, Sorry, I was going to close the book, but I didn't. Christians, especially ministers, so often think that they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others. That this is the one service they have to render. His point is that, you know, sometimes pastors just don't know enough to shut up. He's right. And here's the thing. I often feel that. I really do. You're, I need to contribute something meaningful and, and, and profound and significant into your life so that you'll think well of me because I'm your pastor. And so I put on my profound pastor's mask. And I try to say something that will make you think I am a good pastor. And that, by the way, makes me feel good about myself. I am sometimes stuck, if I'm honest, and I have no idea what to say in some situations. That I'm as baffled as you are about a certain situation. That there are times when my heart is just as filled with pain and doubt as yours. That I do have moments when I wonder if God really does love me. If he is really there. Because it sure doesn't feel like it. I don't like to admit to you that, that I really don't like the book of Revelation. <laughs> that my eschatology really waffles 
on about a weekly basis. Pre-trib, post-trib, ah-trib, no-trib. I know that seems stupid, but it's tied up in who I am. My identity is wrapped up in being a pastor, and, and I want to be a good pastor. And there are certain things in my mind that, that good pastors do and don't do. Good pastors aren't supposed to feel that way. But, but I wonder, I wonder if, if I were more honest in some of those feelings sometimes, you know, just to look you in the face and say, I have no idea what this is about. But I know that I love you. And I know that I want to walk with you and be with you in this situation, crappy as it is, versus the platitudes and the things that I know I'm supposed to say. Would it possibly give life and encouragement to you? Or, I don't know, maybe you'd worry enough that you'd go to another church and then I'm back to being a good pastor again. (laughs) Can this be life-giving? Both for us, for the one that we trust with the struggle. Rather than being what C.S. Lewis calls glory thieves, that the enemy wants us to be. Giving the illusion that we have it all together. Giving the illusion that, that God could really spend his efforts better on someone else because I'm good. I'm good. Let's be real and transparent and vulnerable with one another. Make it very clear that we are desperately dependent upon the grace of God. Mike Iaconelli, youth writer, author, pastor for years, tells a hilarious story about this young woman who'd been coming from the, to their church for some time. And, and Iaconelli was honest. He said, quite frankly, I had no idea why she was coming to our church. Because we were just kind of this, this stodgy, you know, fussy group. And, and she was young and looked like she'd just walked out of the hippie movement. And she came and she was blessed in our congregation. And, and one week she stood up in, in the congregation and said, I just want to thank God for you because I have had a really crappy, and she didn't use the word crappy week, but I don't use those words in front of you because I want you to think I'm a good pastor. <laughs> the encouragement and the blessing that it gives to the congregation, to one another when we perhaps are honest about doubts and struggles. Taking the masks off. Second way that we can give life with our mouths, verse 29, Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. As I mentioned, this is about gossip and slander. It's the same root word, speaking things about others that, that really do not need to be spoken. Slander, of course, that's speaking lies, and that should never be a part of our conversations. But gossip, gossip can be a slippery one. Speaking truth about someone in a place and with people who really don't need to know the truth. You ever been a part of a conversation like that? It's especially memorable when it comes in the form of a prayer request. Oh, pastor, pray for Susie. She's having her third abortion this week. I needed to know that? It's, it's a slippery one, honestly. And, and, and I'm being truthful. I don't sense... That we struggle with gossip here at Applewood doesn't mean that we don't do it, but it's, it's not a trademark of who we are, and I'm thankful for that. But, but let me tell you, that that can quickly change in the life of a congregation. And there's an event that happens in the life of a church from time to time that will promote that change. Let me tell you what it is. Two words. 
building program. It's true. I've lived through it. And others of you have lived through it. There's something about a building program that suddenly elevates my importance. I think maybe it has to do with the fact that it's, it's my money that's helping build this place. And oh, by the way, it's my church that my money is helping build. If it's my money and it's my facility, then suddenly it becomes more important than it should be. And so do I, for that matter. Just remember this. You know, I remember a guy said something, wasn't it back in April sometime, about how building programs can promote gossip. Just trust me on that. The possibility is there. The enemy is lurking. He would love nothing more than for us to start tearing one another up over the color of the carpet. Now, I'm going to be a little upset if the building team doesn't put my hot tub where I've asked them to put it. But I'm praying about that. I want you to know that I'm praying about that. Two questions that we need to ask ourselves. And with this, we will wrap up. Gossip's a slippery thing. Because gossip is, is, is couched in the truth. Two questions. Number one, why am I telling this information to this person? That's an important question. Why am I telling this information to this person? Will it, will it bless them? Paul says an interesting thing here. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That would be the person that you are gossiping about. Does gossip ever build another person up? I don't think so. But he says this, that it may benefit those who listen. There's the person that we're sharing with about someone else. Does my telling this person about this individual over here bless them? That's, that's really the, the literal meaning of that word, to confer a blessing that it may benefit those who listen. We need to ask ourselves that all the time. When we're concerned about the color of paint, the color of the carpet, and why this wall is here, and why the building team decided this, and we need to talk to somebody about it, well, we need to go talk to the building team about it. Because if we're talking to others, and it's not blessing them, then it's not necessary. Why am I telling this information to this person? Second question, will it cause them to think better of the person that I'm talking about? Will my sharing this information cause them to appreciate this person more? If it does, then man, let her rip. If it causes them to appreciate them more, to see them in a way that God is at work in their lives and doing amazing stuff, so be it. Praise team, why don't you come on up. Prepare us as we respond. My friends, powerful instrument, this mouth of ours. With our mouths, we give life and we take life. May we do what Paul says. May we imitate God and give life in all that we say, all that we do. Amen.